Thanks, Eric, for sharing that reading with us this morning. That's the text we're going to be camped out in for the next few minutes here. And this is going to be a, a different kind of a sermon this morning. We're still going to stay grounded in Scripture, of course, and Jesus is still going to be our anchor point. But I'm going to do something that I don't often do, and I just kind of want to talk to you a little bit from my heart this morning. It's AGM Sunday, and that's more than just an annual business meeting that, that we need to have. It's a time when we look back at what's been and forward to what we're expecting. And that's what I want to do together with this time today as well. Well, the backstory to the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Eric read for us, and the backstory is always important if we want to do a good job of grasping what Scripture is really trying to say to us. The backstory here is why Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in the first place. If you know Paul's letters in the New Testament at all, you know often the case he's writing to help the church resolve some dispute or to help clarify some things for them. And it, it might be hard for us to imagine the need for a thing like that when we have, you know, 2,000 years of history and theology and doctrine and tradition to draw on. But for our early sisters and brothers in the church, they had none of that. They had no guidance. So people like Paul would write these letters or stop by their churches to help kind of guide them along because they really were a religious revolution centered around this Jesus character that no one else really knew much about. And in a lot of ways, these early Christians didn't fully grasp the implications of Jesus either. They were swept up in this message of the good news. They were saved by faith in Jesus who had been preached to them. And there was nothing else remotely like this in the whole pantheon of the Greco-Roman religious world. It's a brand new thing. And this man, Jesus, on top of everything else, was a Jew who weren't favored in the Greco-Roman world. He'd arrived on earth in some pretty miraculous circumstances. He's a man, as it was told to them, was a human incarnation of the Jewish God who the Jews believed had created the world and the cosmos and everything else, and a man who was the end point of a whole lot of Jewish prophecy, a Messiah figure. He was a man who was killed on a cross for that very claim and who, as the story was told, had risen up out of his grave three days later. This man... This God had made a way for them to be forgiven once and for all, even the Gentiles, the Greeks, for their sins and to provide a way to an everlasting life in the presence of this God who created the world and the cosmos. It was a new thing. So various characters like the Apostle Paul and Apollos that we read about, that Eric shared with us, you know, they rolled through town preaching this message and providing nuggets of insight for the churches as these little communities formed around their belief in Jesus. I want to jump ahead in our passage to verses 10 and 11 for a second. And it reads, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder, now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. 
And that's a big part of what I want us to consider this morning. Jesus as the foundation of our church. In fact, I want us to be able to visualize this. So bear with me for a sec, because I, I brought props. I thought I had a whole bunch of these in my garage, and then realized, yeah, I moved a few months ago and purged. So I found these this morning. I just want us to have a visual of a solid foundation. And this is the entire scope of my, my building skills right here. I come from a long line of people on my father's side of the family who can build anything out of anything that, and they can dream it up and it just comes out of their hands. I got music instead. But anyway, there's, there's our foundation. Just a little visual aid for us today. And I want, oh, that's dirty. I want to point this out in particular today because I have been feeling a real point of resonance with the early church lately. A lot of us pastors and church leaders have because in a lot of ways we've been feeling unsure about the rules of how to be the church, kind of like our earliest sisters and brothers must have been. I want to think together about our experience over the last three years. Three years ago, we knew exactly how to do church. This here was a really well-oiled machine, thanks in no small part to lots of you giving your time, your expertise, and your financial resources. We knew how to do Sunday, and kids program, and youth ministry, and home church, and super Sundays, and the list goes on. And we really were galvanized around this concept of being centered around Jesus as our foundation. Another way of saying this was, you know, maybe we were just kind of in the zone as a church community. Well, Paul, as an author, he mixes his metaphors an awful lot. English lit professors would have had a field day with him. But he mixes his metaphors to do good illustrations for his audience. So he's talked in this passage about building, and then he switches to agriculture. So that's what we're going to do as well. We're going to move from our foundation here to plants. I want you to check out this picture. There's a lush, healthy-looking apple orchard right there. And three years ago, this was kind of my picture of new life. We had this beautiful growing thing that we tended to and that we knew how to tend to. Then something came along and upset the proverbial apple cart, if you will. The pandemic happened. And this is where I know you're all stifling a collective groan out there. And I get it because it's the thing we don't want to talk about anymore or even think about. But it's a part of our story. And as we get ready for our annual general meeting this afternoon and we plan for 2023 and beyond, we can't ignore that part of our story. There's things to learn from it. And I want us to be both encouraged and challenged by it. Look back at verses 6 and 7 from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a sec. Says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. 
What's important is that God makes the seeds grow. See, Paul's no dummy in the choosing of his words. He uses this growth metaphor because it was something that his audience, the church at Corinth, would understand. See here, he's comparing the church to a field and the people to the workers in that field. And in this time and place, the farmers would have been all too well aware that their own contribution to a successful harvest was, was somewhat minimal compared to the uncontrollable forces of nature around them. And to a great extent, if we ask any of our farming friends, they will tell us that is still true today. A lot depends on what nature does in the world around. But back in Paul's time, people had this idea that every wisp of wind, every drop of rain was directly in control in God's hands or the God's small g, depending on what your religious bent was. So Paul says, what's important is that God makes the seeds grow. I want to be super honest with ourselves for a minute. We've lost a lot over the last three years. If we look around this room, there's not as many people here as there were three years ago. And we grieve that together. Those beautiful pockets of community that we called home churches, those have been really hard to try and reestablish. We grieve that too. And I'm not going to belabor that list because I know we all understand the point. A great thing about my job is that I get to talk to lots of you in between Sundays. And I know that you're all too well aware of the losses. So we're not going to camp out there. I think one of the great things that the pandemic has added to our society is the popularity of this phrase. Guesses? It is what it is. It is what it is. It's become a groaner of its own, but it's actually a pretty powerful saying. Something I've had to learn in my own journey is that I can all too easily get trapped in sitting around and thinking about what's been lost or what hasn't turned out the way I hoped it would. Bill spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. And I can also just as easily get lost in wishes about the future and I end up with a whole laundry list of things that my hope gets pinned to. So I've tried to become really conscious of becoming a believer in approaching life and ministry this way. What is, is. We can learn from the past. We can dream and plan for the future, but as for the present, what is, is. We have to start with what's right in front of us in the here and now. And remember, part of what is, is that Jesus is our foundation. And I want us to hang on to that thought as we carry along here for a bit. I want to jump to the book of Luke for a moment and another really good agricultural metaphor from a different author. This is from Luke chapter 13. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. 
Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. These are Jesus' words here. And in the text, he's speaking of Israel. That's the world he was living in. And Israel in this parable is the fig tree. God is the owner of the field and Jesus is the gardener asking God for a little more time. Another interpretation of the parable, because Jesus always has a point for the church even when his words are directly for the people of his own time. Another interpretation is that our lives are the field. God's the owner of the field. And he's looking for and expecting fruitfulness. He's invested his resources in us. He's created us, he's nurtured us, and he hopes for us to grow. And then along comes Jesus into our struggles to do that. And he says to God, it's okay, I'm tending to this, give it a little more time. That's the grace of Christ right there. I think there's a double-layered lesson for us in this text. Before we get to that, for those of us who have never seen one, and I'm, I'm looking at myself here, this is what a fig tree bearing fruit looks like. So we'll just leave that picture there for a few minutes. First layer of the lesson of the fig tree is this reorienting the metaphor to look at ourselves. I want us to think about ourselves here as the gardeners. The gardener in the parable believed that the fig tree could still be productive. And I think that's been us over the past three years. We've done a lot of looking to God and at one another and saying, we believe there is life here and the promise of more life to come. And so we put in the hard work to tend to the tree. We give it all sorts of special attention. And I'm looking out at a lot of faces who have, in faith, given extra special attention to nurturing new life over these past three years. You've given your time, you've given your finances, because you believe that there's life here. You've done all sorts of things like wearing masks and lining up in registration queues for contact tracing just to be in community here with one another because you believe that there's life here. You've journeyed together through things like a Zoom child dedication and communion services and online book clubs and a virtual after-service Zoom lobby just for a chance to have some conversation and prayer with one another because you've believed that there's life here. You tuned in to things like our online summer camp for kids. You came to outdoor services and campfires. You sewed masks and delivered groceries to people who were sick because you believe that there's life here and you want this community to thrive. A lot of the members of our worship band 
They'll do almost anything I ask them to do. They did some pretty crazy stuff to set up and record video and audio at home so that we could be led to worship this God of ours. Other people learned to edit video and produce live streams. And they did all of that because they believe that there's life here. Our church board showed a ton of courage and grit in letting us try a lot of this stuff and to take the long view on health and growth because they believe that there's life here. And that's not even a full list. That's not a full list of the things that we've done to be good caretakers, good gardeners of this new life community. To nurture the life that we believe through faith that has been here and that we believe will come into full bloom once again. Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention. Friends, that's you. You've looked on the life of this church the way Jesus looks on each of us. Give it special attention. Give it what it needs to grow. And I believe it will grow. So thank you. Thank you for being that kind of people. Because I know it hasn't been an easy three years. But all of that special attention and nurturing you've given to new life is paying off. If you read my pastor's report in the AGM package for today, you'll have seen my reference to something called the sprouts. That's become our pet name around the office for places that we're seeing fresh life pop up and grow. At our January church board meeting, we spent some time listing these things out together. And we were excited to see that the list just kept growing and growing. And in my report for AGM, I only listed a few of them. But here's some more. Our kids program. And you see the explosion of child energy that happens when we send them off for program and when they let them out of the gym afterwards, right? could bottle that energy, my goodness. But we're averaging about 30 kids on Sunday morning and we're engaging with a total of about 50 of them. That's a lot of families. We have our support groups that we've been running and we've engaged with community members to bring Jesus healing to anxiety and depression consistently now for three years. It's a pandemic project. We've been trying out different things with Bible studies. With our dinner church, we're coming to the end of our second season of that and there have been some really good relationships built and there are people who, coming to dinner church, that's their coming to church just like we're sitting here today. We've established a great foundation to continue to build off of. Our youth program. You might not know this, but we have an incredible group of volunteers that Paul has developed over the last couple of years who are upstairs or somewhere in this building with them every Wednesday night investing in our students. 
We've developed some really cool partnerships with some other organizations in our community that we think just help advance the mission that we have to take Jesus' love and healing to people. We have this community garden that you see when you're on your way in to new life. Last season, that resulted in over 150 pounds of fresh produce going to local food banks. And we're sharing the resource we have in this big, beautiful facility with a sobriety group and with other groups who are teaching kids, kids to go out and make a difference in the community. And we've got more ideas on the horizon for this year. We have this small group of prayer warriors who are meeting upstairs before service every Sunday morning now. And I'm just going to put in another plug for that. If you can join them from 9.15 to 9.45 on Sunday mornings, we can never place too much emphasis on prayer. And this is another list that I could go on with for some time, and that's because of your faithfulness to look at new life over these difficult last three years and say, I believe that there is life here. Let's give it the extra special attention that it needs and trust in faith that things will sprout and grow. Before we wrap up, I want to head back over to our main text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a key phrase that I want to focus on. This is verses 8 and 9 one more time. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. For this Corinthian church, Paul, as he so often was, he was writing to settle a little bit of a dispute that they were in. There was a bit of a disagreement as to who was, was greater. Was Paul greater or was this other fellow, Apollos, greater? Who should they be following more? What Paul's getting at in the passage is that an argument is, is pretty immaterial in the grand scheme. See, Paul does not cause the church to grow. Apollos does not cause the church to grow. God does. So in that grand scheme of things, both Paul and Apollos were there to do the part that God had called and gifted them to do. If we explore the, the source language a little bit, verse 9 indicates equality between Paul and Apollos. They were on the same level. They had the shared identity as God's servants. And the word there can be translated as a fellow laborer, an associate, even a helper. And the whole sentence evokes this concept of working together, helping with the work, being people of the same trade, working together, cooperating towards the same common goal. And that's what we all are. Fellow laborers, co-workers, helping one another, working together in equality and in cooperation towards a common goal. And we do that because we believe that it's God 
who is going to cause the growth to take place. We're each here to do our part. And that's a real common theme in Paul's writing. I'm going to jump ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read a few scattered verses here. But our bodies, they have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not, Paul says. That's all pretty self-explanatory there. The gist of it is that as Christ's body, the church, it takes everyone. Let me give a rough translation for you of this passage for our time and place. New Life Church here in Collingwood 2023 looking over our collection of sprouts that are beginning to grow. New Life has many parts. And God has put each part, each person, just where he wants it. How strange new life would be if it only had one part. Yeah, there are many parts, but there's one new life church. Not one of us can say to another, eh, we don't really need you here takes all of us together in our unique spiritual and natural giftedness to make us new life. Are we all pastors? Are we all able to make fabulous soups in the kitchen to help facilitate times of fellowship around tables like we're going to enjoy in just a while? Are we all administrators? Are we all musicians or singers? Are we all good with technical things? Are we all prayer warriors? Are we all skilled at taking care of our facility here? Are we all good at making hospital or hospice visits? Are we all good with children and teens? Do we all possess generous amounts of time and financial resources to give? course not we're not all the same and thank God in his wisdom that he carefully created each of us in different ways friends if we're going to tend to these things that are sprouting and showing growth we have to be co-workers together. Each of you, each face that I see out there in the room today, each of you that's watching behind the camera online at home right now, each of you has a role in this community that's yours and only yours. God has uniquely gifted you 
just for it. And it's not a greater or lesser role than anyone else's. Each of us has exactly the same value in this new life community as co-laborers cooperating together in the joint effort of fulfilling our mission to take Jesus' love to every person in our community. So here's our challenge for today. And this is taken directly from Bill's teaching last week. He ended off with this thought, and I'm going to throw it back out there today. Following Jesus isn't a casual pursuit or based on a small commitment. Following Jesus isn't a casual pursuit or based on a small commitment. And I know there are many of us that may feel a little bit like this plant right here this morning. We've talked about things this morning in the context of the last three years of the pandemic. So I get it. There is a sense of weariness in us and all around us. We'd be silly to ignore that or to deny it. And if I have to stick my own heart on my own sleeve here for a minute, between the pandemic and some seriously taxing things in my personal life converging together over these past few years, there's a lot of days when I feel like that plant. If you're feeling like this too, or if we get the sense that we're feeling like this as a new life community together, I want us to remember two things. First, we look towards our foundation here. Jesus remains immovable, He is steadfast, he's strong, he's sturdy. He is like rock beneath our feet as individuals and he remains the foundation of this church. So whatever circumstances we find ourselves in that we're trying to minister in, that basic fact, that never changes. Jesus is our foundation. Second, it is God who makes things grow. We are not in charge of that. He calls each of us to play our part, but it's God that causes the growth. And I think he's causing it all around us right here and right now. I want to leave you with this visual illustration. Watch what happens to this wilted plant when it gets the special attention that it needs. That's my picture of what's happening around us in our new life community right now. And my prayer is that that's happening for each of you as individuals as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you remain the foundation of this place, this community. 
thank you that you are as solid underneath our feet as you ever have been. God, thank you that you cause growth. And you desire to plant growth in each of us as individual followers of yours and in this community. God, thank you for the gifting by the power of your spirit that you have placed in each person that's sitting in this room and each person that's watching at home today. You have designed this community for us to tend to in our own unique ways. By your spirit, God, would you open our eyes to that in a fresh new way today? Would you allow us to capture the vision that you see of a new life church that is just overflowing its capacities because of growth, growth in people, growth in people coming to know you and understand you for the first time. And as new things sprout up, keep our eyes open to them and teach us how to tend to those things. To give all of our sprouts the extra special attention and care that they need. As we go now into a time of chatting with one another around tables and enjoying good food and then meeting to reflect back and to do a little bit of business together, would you bless those conversations? Would you build new relationships and grow those out of opportunities that start today? Jesus, thank you for all of my sisters and brothers here who make this such a beautiful place to be. With you at the middle. We'll pray this in your name. Amen.